If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Welcome to episode number 69. <laughs> that rules. Uh, my name's Josh Cannon, and I'm here with uh, uh, Beavis. Say hi, Beavis. Hi. Oh, wait, sorry about that. Um, no, 69, episode 69. Wow, we're getting up close to 100. This is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We talk about the show Unsolved Mysteries, but we can't legally and, name it that in the title. Yeah. And we have uh, some special creepy episodes, creepy segments to discuss in honor of the upcoming holiday of Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Spooky. You know, I hate theme stuff. I really do. I hate uh, episodes that are <laughs> themed a certain way. I-, I hate it when my favorite YouTubers do like Christmas theme stuff or TV shows that do Christmas or ha- uh, Thanksgiving theme uh-huh. stuff. But you know what? We're going to do it because everyone else likes that kind of shit. So, well, I like Halloween themed stuff, you know. That that's that's a rare exception for me. Yeah, Halloween's probably like the only exception. And creepy stuff and ghosts and goblins and all kinds of stuff. And we and we have a special double stuffed episode for you guys. Yes. That's got vampires, cults, serial killers, all kinds of stuff. All kinds of spooky stuff. More spooky stuff than what you can shake a bloody butcher knife at. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, the, I think so. Because, yeah. you know, normally you'd say shake a <laughs> stick. I, okay, all right. Well, as you can see from this intro, this is not a professional podcast. You probably shouldn't be listening to it. Uh, but if you want to follow us on social media for, for God knows what reason, it's um, facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And join our Facebook group, why don't you? Just search Facebook for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. There's some really awesome stuff that people put on there that I can't talk about. Um, And if you want to consider supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And we're almost to uh, 100 episodes and still no sponsors. So, yeah, you don't got to listen to any bullshit. uh, Oh, well, me and Mike love these fruit bars. And uh, (laughs) Mike, tell us how much you've you've been regular in the bathroom since you've been eating them. You know, none of that yet. So um, let's let's skip even the chit chat of our daily lives because fuck it. Let's get right into us. Um, The first case we're going to be talking about is that of Suzanne Walsh. Mike, take it away. On July 16th, 1996, Susan Walsh of Nutley, New Jersey, was in a hurry. She dropped off her son, David, with her estranged husband. She said she needed to make some phone calls and run a few errands, but Susan never returned. Police believe Susan Walsh simply chose to disappear. Others feared that she may have met an untimely end. Susan grew up in a broken home. By most accounts, it was a bitter childhood. Still, Susan dreamed of being a poet. By the time she's turned 20, she was far from her dream. So she wanted to be a poet and a writer. So it's a, they, it's one of those kind of things that a lot of people do when they go to college. They're like, "Oh, I want to be a writer," and and I'm going, I'm doing English too. So I, I'm a part of that. Which is what what they're really saying is, uh, I want to grow up and not make any money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so she was instead a substance abuser, supporting herself as a stripper. She still kept her hopes alive using her dancing tips to pay her way through college. By the time she graduated in 1988, she traded stripping for a writing career. 
According to Susan's friend Melissa Hines, Susan had been sober for over four years when she got married and became a devoted mother. Susan loved her son very much, and she was always there for her son. The two things that meant a lot to her were her son and her career as a journalist. Yes, and for anybody wondering, uh, Suzanne's uh, a babe on the babe meter. Yeah. I would say she's a babe. In fact, the actress playing Susan, Susan? is not as yeah. attractive as real-life Susan, which is no. which is very rare that that happens, because usually yeah. the reenactment is some, you know, fucking Matthew McConaughey mowing the lawn, and it's, yeah. you know, the guy looks nothing like, you know, the person portraying. In this case, it's the opposite the the real life exactly. Susan was was babier uh, babe more babe more babe like <laughs> she looks like actually she looks like darcy from the smashing pumpkins the uh the the original She's a total hottie the original total. basis from the smashing pumpkins if that gives you a De- visual of yeah, yeah definitely a hottie swing oh god <laughs> <laughs> so uh oh yeah another thing i wanted to mention about this real quick um so in the reenactment, I love any time Unsolved Mysteries uh, has to reenact a strip club scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, ha- that happens, about, by the way, season nine on Amazon Prime. That is a hot. It's very steamy. It's a hot, spicy Such- season. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say so far, it's my favorite season so far of the show. But it's show. the one that has aphrodisiacs and fertility statues. I know, I know. And that really, trust me, that, that does hurt it a lot. <laughs> but I mean, there are some great cases on season nine um but yeah uh not the not the first strip club scene in season nine either uh totally different segment had another strip club scene but yeah i love like the the, the fog and the neon uh it looks like something straight off of skinamax but like worse and then like they have yeah. that generic 80s synth pop music in the background <laughs> you know just like I, lo- I love it it's like and of course it's stripping without actual stripping oh because, of course you yeah. know it's it's a network television show yeah So eventually, she and her husband separated. Her writing jobs didn't pay enough to support her son, and according to journalist James Ridgway, she went back to stripping, unable to resist the easy money. Yeah, because, yeah, also, it definitely paid the bills. Like, it gave her an actual income. Uh, And although back then it was probably easier to get a writing job and actually make some sort of living back then... Uh, nowadays, it's really difficult because barely any schools really have journalism degrees anymore, and journalism is kind of a dying breed, which is sad. Uh, it's all kind of been lumped into the social media thing, which leads to talentless hacks being hired to write movie review movie reviews for websites. It's so annoying. It's a very very <laughs> specific example, Mike. Sounds like you have uh, some kind of vendetta going on here. Well, yeah, it's maybe a little bit, but I mean, just from what I've read, they, they're fucking terrible. I'm sorry. They don't know what the fuck they're writing or what they're talking about. And for some reason, they get the job to write about films. You know, the, now the more that I think about it, how you're saying journalism is a dying breed, I think about, OK, where does journalism where did it end up in the past in newspaper and on TV shows? Well, what's dying out more than anything now? Newspaper and TV, and TV, TV shows. shows. Yeah. And what's proliferating? John Q. Anybody on the internet who can start a fucking their own blog or vlog yeah. channel. And yeah, so I mean, I guess and then I, you have clickbait articles and so th- stuff like but, that. But that journalism really was a, for that much. Journalism was a very important thing uh, at one point. I mean, it exposed a lot of shit that was going on. So I wonder yeah. who, who, where, where's the torch gotten past nowadays? I wonder. I don't know. I have no idea. 
So Susan would say uh, she was like an addict. The whole sex business is kind of like an addiction, and she was trying to break this addiction. She'll. Uh, this is a journalist, uh, James Ridgway, speaking. Uh, she talked endlessly on an intellectual level against dancing, and sometimes with great articulation. And you know, you feel like this is very profound stuff. And then you know she's out there doing it. You know? Eventually, Susan landed an internship at New York's alternative newspaper, The Village Voice. Because of her background as a stripper, she was assigned to research the sex industry. She soon turned up a hot story. Russian mobsters in New Jersey were allegedly forcing young immigrant women to work like slaves in strip clubs. James, Wid James Ridgway described Susan as dogged in her work, which is an interesting way to say it. She's dogged. It was dogged determination. Like, where did that come from? Dogged determination. I don't know if I have a problem with that. I'm just saying, are dogs that that determined? Well, partly that, I, that leads to the term. Part of the reason why dogs? why I don't have a problem with it is because I don't really know what it means. So that's <laughs> probably why I don't have much of a problem with it. Okay, so James Richway is quoted here again. Susan was a fantastic researcher. She really poured herself into this. She spent hour after hour, day after day. Then she got in the situation where some of the people were alleged to be in organized crime. The manager of these clubs began to side with the Russian women against the Russian manager, so it was like these two mobs meet. And then Susan, of course, loved this thing, and she got right in the middle of it. Susan earned the praise for her Russian mob article, but she also received serious threats when it was published. Of course, it's the Russian mafia. But that didn't stop her from taking another dark assignment, this time investigating vampire nightclubs. Ooh, vampire nightclubs. Vampire nightclubs. Wow, that was, uh, that, that's like like that movie Blade, right? With, with, uh... <laughs> yeah, but this is so much lamer. Uh, these clubs attracted kids who called themselves goths. They were known for their outrageous black outfits, but some took it even further, even drinking real blood. And the reenactment they have for this is fucking hilarious. It is laugh out loud hilarious. It's like a day glow vampire club. <laughs> they're like wearing the it's like there's a black light. They they're got all the you know it's the typical sort of stuff you think of when you think of like vampire club, but it's not. But it's actually turned to eleven. It looks so like it's like so over the top. Yeah, it looks like if your local church like tried to reenact like a vampire club. And, like, <laughs> the limited resources and props they would have available in said church. Like, it, it looks like that, pretty much. Like no, It's like the lamest... The fake, uh, the fake fangs, those plastic fangs that yeah. everyone got as kids, you know? Like, it, it's just... It's, it's, it's bad. But, you know, I gotta think that the real vampire clubs weren't that much far off yeah, in corniness. Yeah, they probably weren't really that, that uh, much better, because uh, it's a vampire club. However, I do Nightclub. take I do take a little issue with the fact that uh, I I feel like um, I don't know like got like gothic kids are have always been like kind of the punchline ever since the beginning yeah. of the inception of of the of the term, um, and it, I could see why these people are punchlines, they're yeah. walking punchlines. But like I I don't know if uh, I, w I wouldn't say, like, your modern term for, like, a goth kid. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just feel like goth kids get a bum rep sometimes, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, they still call themselves goths, so... Yeah, you know. I don't know. Maybe they're poser goths. Wannabe goths. 
But anyway, yeah, this Vampire Club, it, it's like a, a bad Duran Duran music video with all of the fucking black lights and shit. And people, multiple people with black lipstick and teased up hair and fake vampire teeth. And one of them, I think, was in drag. <laughs> so you have a, a, a drag queen vampire, so, apparently. So you have, like, like Prince's <laughs> Revolution in this goth club, apparently, too. <laughs> vampire... <laughs> vampire queen um and uh just ridiculous yeah these uh, like this is kind of this was kind of the impetus for this episode for me was like watching the suzanne walsh segment because in in the 90s and i heard about this a lot and the segment that we're going to talk about after this one which is just more dives deeper into the whole vampire cult and uses uh, stock footage from this segment what was that your skype cut out for a second it, it uses stock footage from this segment, which I think is kind of funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and they did that before, too, with the uh, aphrodisiac segment. They used stock footage from the uh, fertility statues, which it's like, wow, you're taking two horrible segments and <laughs> combining them. But, uh, yeah, this was a big deal in the 90s. Like, like this happened a lot, apparently. Um, you know, goths, though they were around in the 80s with bands like The Cure and, and The Smiths kind of, like, you know, being uh-huh. the, the and Bauhaus kind of being the bands that goth kids liked back then. The 90s was when it really, you really saw it proliferating, and you started hearing about things like goth or vampire clubs and kind of vampire culture and all that kind of stuff. And and, and again, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but you can kind of see how the West Memphis Three were kind of like lumped in with all this craziness that was going on in the 90s with satanic panic, with vampire clubs yeah. and all that. So, yeah, anyway. Well, these people, you know, especially the uh, the the guy who was the leader of this vampire cult in the next segment we're going to discuss, like he reminds me of Damien. Yeah, but like same he's here. Just a, he's a complete. He actually did opposite shit of of Damien because he actually did some fucked up shit. But anyway, Susan was attracted to the vampire world. She even started dating a man who claimed to be one of the undead. According to James Ridgway, Susan wrote a detailed article, but she seemed to lose her journalistic objectivity. She believed a lot of the things that these guys were telling her and how there were secret murders and so on and so forth in the vampire world. She would come in and say to me, I met these two guys and they got this van. It's very scary and I don't know whether I should go in their van. So I said, hey, look. Don't go in the van because they might not be vampires. I th- you know, I think uh, this this quote here should get the no shit Sherlock award of the year. <laughs> exactly. um, I think some guys have a van. I don't know if I should go into the van. So I said, hey, don't go in the van because they might not be vampires. You know, <laughs> I would go a step further and say, hey, Susan. Even if they are vampires, you probably shouldn't go in the creepy van. Now I kind of understand a little bit further as to why you chose stripping as your profession to make money rather than something else. Because I think that's about the thing you were qualified for mentally, given the whole, I don't know if I should go in the creepy van with the vampire people or not. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, that that is that is definitely one of those just stupid uh, things right there. It's like, come on, Susan. Like, I mean, you can kind of you can kind of see what kind of quality parenting she had already. If you have to even ask a question, 
Now, granted, uh, a big ass. Is she the type who would have taken candy from from yeah, a stranger exactly. dude and then got into the back of the van? Now, granted, creepy creepy white vans or vans in general didn't have the uh, they didn't have the creep factor attached to them maybe as much in the '90s as they do no, now. I think they still did because it was attached in the '80s with stuff people like Dennis DePew and shit like that. That's true. So I don't. Yeah, I think it was still like that because you had like public service announcements like Scrooge, uh, the not Scrooge, like this Scrooge McDuck. No, this this fucking crime dog. What's his name? Oh, McCrack or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? What's in that? <laughs> I seriously thought that might have been it. <laughs> Holy fuck! I don't know. That's hilarious. That was the first thing that came to my mind. But now I think it's I think it's McGruff. Oh, I think that's you're right. It is, it is McGruff, <laughs> McCrack. All right. Well, but now like McGruff, McGruff, the crime dog or something. Like you, you can't, you can't like see like yeah. you can't see McGruff a uh, the crime dog. Uh, you can't see a big white van nowadays uh, with without somebody making like a pedophile joke or a, a murder joke or something like I w- that's the type of place where you'd find mccrack would be in the back of a, of, of a van hey kids a creepy van <laughs> take a bite out of this crack hey it's kids delicious. it's story time oh <laughs> uh, so um to susan's disappointment the village voice never ran her vampire story Aww. oh that's too bad she went back to dancing full time in a documentary made by a friend, Susan talked about the toll stripping had taken on her life. In a documentary that was going to be made, but I don't think it ever got released. It's draining me. I've been in it for four and a half years, four years too long, and I'd say, and I'm stuck in this conundrum because I feel so drained. And I'm damaged right now, and I, I will admit that. Very damaged from this business. I'm hurting very bad. Filmmaker Jill Morley was with Susan two days before she disappeared, and she's quoted here. Excuse me. She said she had bronchitis, emphysema, and an ulcer. She said she'd been in the hospital twice that week. She talked about her mood swings and being depressed and about just holding on to live. 48 hours after Jill last saw her, Susan disappeared. Did she collapse because of her depression and poor health, or was she out there somewhere waiting for help? Susan's friends had to consider darker theories. James Ridgway said he believed Susan had become addicted to drugs. I think she went out and probably called somebody to come and get her, and then she went, and she may have very well OD'd, and she may very well have OD'd in the presence of someone who knew her and was frightened to do anything about it. Which happens. That happens all the time. Detective John Ryan of the Nutley, New Jersey Police Department. It's an unfortunate name for a a town, a city, in any any place, not, let alone New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's right up there with Sulphur, Missouri, or whatever we talked about a few weeks ago. Might as well just call your, your town Muttley, New Jersey, after that laughing dog from that old cartoon. Said that the police have a completely different theory. I believe Susan Walsh is alive. For some unknown reason to me at this time, she opted to leave her family at home and home. She leaves her family at home. <laughs> well, that's true. That's pretty much what she did. She just left her family at home and then just got out of there, which she has the perfect right to do. Really? You have the perfect right to abandon your, your kid, your your child? Yeah, I don't yeah, I that. don't know if, uh, I, I mean, isn't there some kind of like, I mean, I guess the guy was there, right? But I mean, isn't that some I kind of... I think she broke up with him, didn't he? Didn't she? 
Could be wrong. Uh, I don't know. It seems like there's some kind of child neglect thing going on in there, you would think. It also seems like there's details that are left out from, you know, from oh, this I'm case. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's Unsolved Mysteries. There's always shit that's left out. That's what I've come to find out. I mean, they probably left some shit out because uh, it paints her in a less than positive light. And they don't want to do that. And I could be wrong, but it just sounds... She sounds like somebody who would just, like, neglect her kid and go stripping and, and, and get high on drugs or from something. That, from that documentary footage they show on Unsolved Mysteries, like, the minute they show of her talking, yeah, I mean, you, I, I kind of pick up on, like, you know, cues from people, like, how they talk, how they carry themselves, how, how she was mm-hmm. speaking, the tone in her voice. She seemed very, um, just kind of... Yeah, you know, oblivious. And or, she wrote a book about the red light di- district. She wrote a book about you know all these sex underground sex stuff that was apparently somewhat successful. But then her colleague saw her and saw her with a bandage on her wrist, and she had like a really w- weak excuse for it. And she's all like, "Oh, I just, I just decided to cut myself to see what it would feel like." It's cool. It's cool, man. <laughs> it's cool, man. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. I keep, I, just, I keep focusing on this, uh, the, the, the poor health aspect of her. You know, she's talking about bronchitis and emphysema and an ulcer. Okay, well, uh, you work in a strip club in the '90s where smoking was still allowed inside. And, and dude, I remember going to bars. Like my dad took me to a bar one time when I was like, I don't know, like 11 mm-hmm. or 12, and and he took me there just to watch. Uh, I guess his friend at work had some cover band, and he took me there. And I remember <laughs> that's so. Pathetic. Oh, I know. That's going to be me in like a year. I'm going to be that guy on stage in the cover band. So, da- so dancing with ghosts. Yeah, dancing with ghosts. The cover band. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's actually a band in Kentucky called Dancing with a Ghosts. A Genesis, a Genesis cover band. Shit, I'm not talented enough to do that. But I remember being in that bar, even in like the what, mm. like early 2000s, it, when smoking was like still like allowed in a lot of these places. And dude, my eyes would start to fucking burn because of all the cigarette smoke. So. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, there are gigs that I, as a DJ nowadays, there are gigs that I have turned down because smoking was allowed inside the bar. Dude, that is a miserable time. Being inside of a smoke-filled bar sucks. I couldn't imagine having to, like, dance around every night. You know, not only does your your heart rate go up, so you're you're breathing in more. You're breathing in deeper than you normally would. Mm -hmm. So that's absolutely where the bronchitis and emphysema came from. And the ulcer, well, that's probably from the fact that, you know, nobody wants to strip. Nobody is excited about going into work to do that. I think some people, though, are. I think there are some people who do get a kick out of that. Yeah, like the exhibitionist kind of thing. Who also like the power it gives them. And also, I think there's some people that, hey, this makes me a lot of money. I'm fine with it. Yeah, but I still think the whole ulcer thing, you know, it's like, I think she in particular was Could going in there. With, or, or all this other stuff that she's doing and, and all, you know, who knows what kind of kinky stuff she's doing because she's writing books about the red light district and all this kind of stuff. And she's dating guys who say that they are vampires. Yeah. Who in and all she's actuality. she's cutting her wrist and, and, and saying, oh, I did it just to see what it felt like and she was in her like 30s when she was doing this she wasn't a teenager yeah. you know who would who, yeah. who i could give her a pass to say oh she you know she's a dumb teenager she's an emo she's an emo teen who's trying to get on instagram and get some likes <laughs> yeah well, i mean you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna downplay uh people who like self-mutilate you know because no, there's but a- some of them some of them 
legitimately are doing it for attention. Yeah, not all of them yeah. are, but there are some that are legitimately doing doing it for attention. It's not it's not a good thing to do, but teenagers no. do that shit because they they have a harder time processing and and, and, and all also that. it can lead to a bad habit that's really hard oh, to yeah. break. But I mean, she was like in her thirties, like just doing all the, like just now doing all this shit. Like she, mm-hmm. you know what? This chick needed to be uh, on in the movie Saw. Like she needed to be one of the victims uh, and go through one of the uh, Jigsaw guys' games so she could learn how truly. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, I'm that's not going to go that far. You've seen Saw, right? Where, this is yeah, not, I know, but I'm, I don't want to wish that. I don't wish that upon anybody. But so the no. whole point of the games of Saw was that the first movie, at least the only good Saw movie, in my opinion. Was uh, that you appreciated your life more because you had to go through so much to to live? You had to prove how much you truly want to live, um, and and so I yeah, mean, but in, but from a, a psychopath's point of view, yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a psychopath myself, I guess. Which, if we're actually, you know, being R- honest, R- here. really. Uh, no, no, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say any of this on tape. Uh, <laughs> my attorney will be getting in contact with you. You got American Psycho over here. Um, a number of people, including an old friend, Melissa Hines, told the police that they saw Susan after she disappeared, getting into a limousine. I definitely think it was her. I'm positive I, that I saw Susan a month after she disappeared. Detective Ryan followed up on Melissa's information. A license plate number that Melissa Hines provided to us, we did track down. We spoke to the owner and operator of the vehicle. He had been with a woman fitting the description of Susan. He did view photographs and felt he was pretty sure that it had been her. But again, we had no positive identification of Susan Walsh at that time. Melissa believes that if Susan is alive, she may be deliberately hiding out. Susan definitely felt that she was in danger. She was scared for her life, and I think she she also feared her son's life could be in danger too. Susan actually told me that she wasn't going to make it in the next year. She felt that she was going to be killed. Floyd Merchant is Susan's father. I believe there is a chance that the mob was after her. People in organized crime were concerned that Susan had information that would send them to jail. According to Susan, that was the case. Then why did they not kill her, like, immediately after the article came out? Why is it, like, this long period of time where nothing happened? Yeah. Melissa, huh? <laughs> I agree. That's all I have to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Melissa Hines believes that someone was following Susan. I thought it. At, I thought at first that it was just her imagination, but I've seen it with my own eyes. I could see cars follow her. Both of us people follow my car. She was in my car, so definitely somebody was stalking her. Who was it that could have been following Susan? No one knows. But now, years after she vanished, police believe she was murdered, and the case remains open. So now the police are like, nah, nah, she's not, she's not still alive. She didn't just go missing. She's dead. I'd say the biggest victim here was her, her poor kid. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, I have a mom for a little bit and now mom's gone because mom was kind of a selfish bitch and shouldn't have had a kid to begin with, um, but did for whatever reason even though she was in no way, shape, or form ready for that kind of responsibility, obviously. Well, it seems like she was fine for four years raising her kid, and then something happened. And she lost her job or wasn't able to make a, make a living with the... So that's what makes me think something's missing. Like, is she not getting any support from her husband? So that's what makes me think that they broke up because she's going back to stripping because... Her journalism, whatever job, isn't paying the bills enough. Why would she have to do that if she was married? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Susan strikes me as one of those people that, like, you know, she wanted to be a poet. She wanted to be a writer. She is uh, whimsical enough in her mind to fuck with vampire culture and a guy who says he's a vampire. She seems like a person who is not someone who should be parenting anybody. She seems like she should have just yeah. been on her own, been single, dated around, whatever, uh-huh. but she should have never brought a kid into that situation. Yeah. It's the same reason I don't have a kid, because I know that I'm yeah. this artsy-fartsy, head-in-the-clouds <laughs> motherfucker, and I'm not going to bring a kid into my world, because I'm a selfish fuck. And- Can you imagine if she married the vampire guy? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, like, been I'm trying worse. to think of, like... What if the vampire guy was like Nicolas Cage in that movie Vampire's Kiss, who's just running around? I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! (laughs) I gotta watch that movie. It looks so awful. Um, It is. But I mean, you know, like, and there's there's nothing wrong with like not having it, you know, it's like you you don't have to have a kid. You realize that, right? Like you, like Mm -hmm. this, this chick could have just pursued her, her passions, which she was doing and what she should have done, but... Then at some point, I guess she felt like, oh, maybe if I have a kid, it'll bring some kind of normalcy to my life. But, like, she wasn't it ready for that. It seemed like it did it temporarily. It, it did it temporarily. Yeah. Blah. Yeah, but but she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, turn down the su- seducting ways of the, uh, you know, I don't know. We don't know what, we don't know of what the happened. We just know that. Of the strip club. We just know that she left her house at some point and, uh. I think she's dead. Oh, yeah. Whether the mob killed her, I don't know for sure. Or she OD'd. I don't know what, what happened. Or the vampire guy drank her blood and killed her. I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe the vampire club did it. Maybe the vampire cult did it. Like, maybe there's a club. The vampire club, actually, what they were saying was real. I mean, maybe it's one of those instances where the other journalist friends of hers are like, oh, that's just a bunch of bullshit. And then, really, there was some secret killing room or some shit and she ended up in the killing room and and is dead well i'm sure journalists in those kind of environments wouldn't be wanted or welcomed in any way and i think that's kind of uh, you know i mean look at danny castellaro and uh, you know the other journalists mm-hmm. that have gone too deep into something and i'm surprised the paper didn't run her story though because i mean that's pretty crazy and even even if it might be kind of a lot of embellishment on her part it still is interesting and would get people to read it. I mean, if you had like an article, it was like Vampire Club, you'd be like, oh, I don't know. What's this Vampire Club about? Well, from what I understand, the, the village voice is, um, you know, they 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 try they're trying to have a, a bit of uh, integrity to their uh, publications. I mean, they're kind of like the artsy kind of left leaning, um, I guess, altern- alternate alternate. Uh, like the alternate to the Newsweek magazines, like okay, they're but they're yeah. like the you know kind of the left leaning mm-hmm. version of that or whatever. We have a yeah. we have a uh, paper like that in Jacksonville called Folio Weekly, and it's it's uh-huh. that same kind of way. And I could just imagine seeing so like in, in earnest, you know, some kind of vampire article in there, but it's not like tongue in cheek. Like they're really saying that it, you know, oh, this is something that's going on. I. I've, Kind yeah. of, I kind of feel like I would never see that because it's mm-hmm. like they just would never print something like that. It just kind yeah. of they'd lose a little bit of credibility, it seems like. Yeah. That being said, I don't really have anything else to say about this case, but I, I do think it's a it's a good case. It's an interesting case. You got the vampire cult thing, club thing, and then you have the whole uh, obsession with sex and stripping. And it's, it's a tragic it, it is a tragic case in a lot of ways. 
Because it's especially when you have a young kid involved that's just abandoned by, you know, his mother abandons him. That's pretty sad. Yeah, moving on to our next case, which t uh, dovetails right into the whole uh, vampire thing, sticking with Halloween themed. Uh, this is actually you got this uh, smug looking son of a bitch, Rod Farrell. <laughs> yes, um, he he is in fact a son. Who thinks of a he's bitch. a five hundred year old vampire named Visago? Oh God, one of these guys, <laughs> <laughs> one of these hot topic going uh, motherfuckers <laughs> who took it too far. Um, yeah, I remember this case from my childhood, actually. I remember uh, being much younger back in the 90s or whenever I, I first saw this. And well, of course you'd be much younger. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I, was, so. I was actually the same age. I am a vampire. That's why we're <laughs> talking about this. I, was, I said I was much younger earlier to try to throw people off, but really, I'm, I'm 200 years old. Um, <laughs> my balls definitely teabag the toilet water when I sit down. I'll say that much. 200 years old, that's what happens. You know, the gravity takes hold. That's one thing I don't understand about these vampires. Why isn't their skin super saggy? I mean, 200 years of gravity, good lord, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, look at, uh, well, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, before he goes back to his younger self, he's all old and, and desiccated, and it seemed like his younger self was just some kind of illusion he could temporarily hold on to for a short amount of time. But his real self was this older, saggy skin uh, vampire. I like that. That's realistic. Um, so, so this is um, <clears throat> this is a segment that's basically about like what I was saying before these '90s kind of vampire groups that were forming and some of the uh, I guess times that they they went uh, askew, they went off the beaten path, they got out of control, they yeah. got out of hand. This this segment starts out though with a hilarious opening narration from Robert Stack. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a classic Stack line. They are dark, they're dangerous, they're sexy. <laughs> From Transylvania to Hollywood, vampires have been popular characters in movies, literature, and legend for generations. Today, fans of the undead have been given ancient myths, fresh new life across the country. Wannabes play out fantasies in bizarre vampire nightclubs. On the internet, vampire chat rooms attract thousands of hits every day in various games, such as Vampire the Masquerade, uh, get together to play out their dark dramas. I, I love that uh, that paragraph because uh, they're already like like just taking the piss out of these people. Like wannabes play out fantasies in vampire nightclub, bizarre vampire nightclubs. They're already like you know basically saying like unsolved mysteries take on this is we think it's bullshit and we think these guys are a <laughs> bunch of virgins. Uh, <laughs> and I love you know because you know. Back when this aired, the internet was kind of still in its infancy, so that you know, on the so there's the the internet's first starting to make its appearance, you know, kind of in these unsolved mystery segments, because you know, obviously the mm -hmm. the internet's turned into like a it's big. Like, he talks about like and thousands of yeah, whatever thousands websites. of hits every day, yeah, thousands of hits every day, you know. Now I'm like thousands of hits. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, now now it <laughs> would be pathetic. like millions, you know, millions of hits a day, you know. But yeah, back then it's like, you know. People would get on their, uh, you know, 50K modems or whatever it is. And they get on their web TV that I'm sponsoring on TV <laughs> in advertisements and check out the vampire website. And after 30 minutes that it takes to dial uh, into the Internet, then they would go to these vampire websites with their American <laughs> online free trial CD they got in the mail. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, anyway, uh, they... I actually saw a web TV at Goodwill recently. I didn't get it, but I thought it was funny because I was, I was just thinking it because Robert Stack was a spokesperson for it. And I was just like, that's funny. What was web it, TV. like a, a disc or so, a demo disc or something? No, it, it's, it's an actual... It's, 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 a, it's a physical thing. It's not a disc. What is it, like a television? Like a, or? Yeah, it's like a television that also has internet. Oh, really? Okay, that's kind of... It's kind of, kind of like a cable box, not a TV. It's more like a sort of a cable, but something like TiVo, but also has internet. See, you should have gotten that, and you should you should have done a, a video on it on your channel, like a, a oddities of, <laughs> of, I don't know. I mean, Lazy Game Reviews already does something like that, uh, oddware. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the, after this uh, introduction by Stack, they show a vampire game being played. And these guys look like they're in like a like they rented like a conference room in a hotel or something. And they're like this one guy <laughs> sitting on the chair and this other guy's like bending down. You know, you can't really see what he's doing. It looks lame as fuck. If you ask me, it looks like looks like some hardcore LARPing going on here. Uh, then they have uh, Dr. Gordon. Mel- I mean, the stuff with McCurt McFall was was more badass than. This. Yeah, exactly. At least they had like night outfits and. Yeah, I mean, they at least they had like little duct tape shields they made and shit. You know, yeah. this this there's no there's not even any props. You know, so it's not cool. They're, they could they're just playing the role playing game vampires. So vampire the masquerade. So Doctor Gordon Melton is quoted by saying, um, "I think the game really affords people an opportunity co- to confront the dark side of human nature, which is such a part of all of us, and face it rather honestly, and do it in a rather entertaining way, and do it in ins- and do it in a safe environment." Uh, for many players, the vampire games are just for fun, but for others, sometimes the games can go wrong. Fantasy can just, fantasy can turn just, into brutality. He's just bullshitting. He's just like he's just like, all right, how much I'm getting paid for this interview? All right, I'll do it. And they even have the camera that's all tilted to the side when when they're interviewing him, which is is really uh, something that you saw a lot in shows around this time period uh and so it's trying to be like "Ooh, look at this kooky vampire expert <laughs> i think um, i think right I, after i actually have the book the vampire book as well that he wrote oh really yeah it's pretty lengthy it's really thick very detailed i think this dr gordon guy uh should have been asked like after that the the, the, the off-camera interviewer should have asked uh so, so is it true that you did get your degree uh, on uh, on a uh, mail-in degree uh, thing, <laughs> you know, uh, to become a doctor? Oh, yes, I did. That was a mail-order degree that I got. Uh, why is that relevant? You know. Anyway, uh, let's uh, nod back to West Memphis Three again, um, which you can find on our podcast, uh, and that ties into our vampire killer. Well, not there yet. Um, for many players, vampire games I already read that. Police suspect, uh, they suspect, Ka- Kira, yes, Kira O'Connell of Rochester, New York, may have been lured from her home via the internet by a website for vampires. Authorities believe that Kira O'Connell is with Brooker Maltese, a senior member of the Air Force who has now been listed as a deserter. Brooker and several friends allegedly ran their own vampire chat room on the internet, the Black Rose Nightclub. Oh, oh Mike, that's a place I could see you hanging out back in the day. Oh, no. Hell no. No. <laughs> I wouldn't be caught dead in a place like that. Well, that's where they would want... That's that's the state that they would want you to be in, in, in a <laughs> chat room like that. I'm dead, and I'm also a virgin! Uh, oh, that's so bad. The Black Rose Nightclub. 
Uh, yeah, that, that God, that just reminds me of like just you know going to like a goth chick's MySpace page and all that horrible <laughs> HTML, like you know all those bad like graphics. You know, I could just see like a animated like black rose with like sparkles and like angels, and then have like a quote from the crow, "It can't rain all the time" in the background. Yeah, yeah. So authorities, uh, blah blah blah, they apparently shot off into their own chat room. Uh, Brooker and this uh, Kiara O'Connell shot off into their own chat room, and Brooker began to mentally take control over Kiera. Uh, Detective Don Reimer said that, generally speaking, we're looking at kids who are really intelligent children who want to belong. They want to participate. And this comes along and reaches out to them and says, there are no rules. It's exciting. It's different. Mom and dad won't like it that much. And that's another element that's a draw. And once they get involved <laughs> in it, sometimes it becomes more than just a game to these children. Children like because the parents don't just understand. The parents don't understand. They just don't understand. They don't understand my angsty vampire role play. My mom made me do the dishes before I went to bed. <laughs> Fuck you, mom. I'll, I'm, I'm gonna be a vampire. <laughs> I'm gonna go on my American Online and go to the Black Rose nightclub. That's only on the internet. So how is it really a nightclub? But uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Uh, children like that are perfect targets for men like 27-year-old John Christopher Bush. Uh, police in Virginia Beach say that Bush uh, convinced local junior high and high school students that he was a powerful vampire. Uh, John Christopher Bush offered them a home, a family. He gave them tasks and responsibilities. And, of course, it all came at a high price. And that's Detective, I guess, Don Reamer saying that again. That price was a loss of innocence. Bush used the hook of vampirism to seduce teenage girls. Again, he's uh, the detective's quote is saying, they didn't really know what they were consenting to until it was too late. Then, of course, the embarrassment factor kicks in and the fear. And Mr. Bush went to great lengths to cultivate that fear. He talked to them about blood hunts. Blood hunts is an activity in the vampire game, but he would explain it to them not as a game, but as in, I'll take you into the woods and hunt you down, end quote. Uh, what an asshole. John. And how would any, why would anybody agree to play that game? Well, apparently it's not what he explained it as, but you know, in, in the little vampire chat room, it's, it's, it's something else, but, but he would explain it differently. Like, Oh no, it means that I'll kill your ass. Uh, that's what I mean. Like, is that what, it, why would anybody in this real life scenario be like, yeah, that sounds like fun. I don't know. It sounds like your cat has an answer. If only we understood the cat. So anyway, this uh, on the post. This douchebag John Christopher Bush was convicted of thirty counts, including rape, uh, unlawful carnal knowledge, and crimes against nature. I don't know of uh, what two. What the hell is unlawful carnal knowledge? Two out of those three things, I have no idea what those things mean. Uh, Mike, why don't you look those things up as I read on, and you can enlighten us okay, down the road. So, unlawful carnal knowledge, and what's the other? Crimes one? against nature. Sounds like a OP or a Naughty by Nature album or something. Um, he was sentenced to 26 years in prison. Two months into... Okay, unlawful carnal knowledge uh, is... Oh, forbidden or taboo sexual intercourse between individuals. Oh, so they, the so they mean... sexual procreation between a man and a woman... Uh, is it, I, come on, really? Thesaurus is like, the man's penis is inserted into the woman's vagina and excited until orgasm and ejaculation occur. Oh my god. 
<laughs> Gee, again, the no sh- shit Sherlock award goes to this the source you're reading from. So, yeah. so they so they're about talking about knowledge in the biblical sense, like you knew them, like yeah. you fucked them, like the unlawful mm-hmm. carnal fucking, basically. Yeah. So bizarre sexual behavior, anal sex, basically, mm-hmm. is what they're talking about. That's what unlawful <laughs> carnal knowledge is. It's anal. Um, what's could did you see? probably other things too? Sure. Did you see what uh crimes against nature? Crimes against yeah, naughty by nature. Yeah. <laughs> It's the sequel album to Naughty Oh my God, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. So two months into Bush's conviction, another so-called vampire family grabbed the headlines. Five teens in the small town of Murray, Kentucky, were arrested for a shocking double murder. One of them was Heather Windorf. Her parents were the victims. The vampire leader was Rod Farrell. Um, reporter Jim Mahoney said, uh, the city police detective said he would cut his arm and let others suck his blood as some kind of, uh, ritualistic, uh, they called it being embraced into the family. James Yohe, a vampire player and acquaintance of Rod Farrell, and also I'm assuming virgin, went on to say the whole bloodletting thing was appealing to him. And all bloodletting is, is nothing more than letting someone else feed off of you. That's it. That's all it is. It's letting someone feed off you. It's not, it's not bad. It's not weird at all. Uh, he said, we never promoted it, and once I found out, I was quite shocked to find out he was involved in that, end quote. Now, at no point is James Yohe uh, not condoning this or saying that it's a bad thing to do. He's just saying, oh, I was shocked to hear about it, and this is what it is, and you know, he's kind of like dodging the severity of it or whatever. Um, so Yeah, because he probably got the only pussy he's ever gotten thanks to uh, this fucking sick fuck over here in uh rod farrell rod his name's rod uh so he's a dick so it fits so after uh looking up info on this guy uh we 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 can go in about uh more specifically about the killings which is uh since halloween and all it's uh you know only fitting i guess this guy now he's got a mugshot of him in 2008 he looks like uh chester bennington from uh lincoln park yeah (laughs) Uh, that's pretty strange also he's got this smug look on his face yeah he looks pretty uh pretty satisfied with himself so on november 25th 1996 a week of thanksgiving naomi ruth queen and richard wendorf were found by their daughter jennifer wendorf beaten to death in their eustace home while 49 year old richard wendorf was asleep on his couch and ruth was in the shower Farrell and accomplice howard scott anderson had entered the home through the unlocked garage, picking up the murder weapon. Before Richard had even awakened, Farrell beat him multiple times with a crowbar, fracturing both his skull and ribs, almost instantly knocking him out and killing him shortly thereafter. When Ruth had found Farrell and Anderson in the home moments later, Farrell bludgeoned her to death, bashing her head with the crowbar. He claimed in his confession, however, that his original plan, he was going to allow Naomi Ruth to live, but she first attacked him by lunging at him and throwing a very hot cup of coffee on him, which angered him and made him change his mind and kill her also. Well, fuck her for, you know, attacking you. I know, she's such a bitch, isn't she? I mean, he was just trying to kill the the dad and leave, but, you know, then the the wife had to go and throw coffee on him. God forbid, you know. Um, That was sarcasm, by the way, people, if you don't uh, know what that means. Um, So he changed his mind and killed her also. Richard was also, or Richard was found bearing burn marks in the shape of a V. It was said that uh, the V was a feral symbol, which he accompanied with a dot for each person he considered to be 
in his vampire call. Yeah, it, no, it's not V for vampire, it's V for virgin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> v for the lack of vagina that you have gotten in your life. Um, so the victims were the parents of Heather Wendorf, a longtime friend of Rod's, whom he was helping run away from a home that she described as hell. Heather and the other girls that were with Farrell and Anderson were not at the Wendorf home when the murders took place. Charity and her friend Dana had driven Heather to her boyfriend's apartment so Heather could say goodbye before leaving for New Orleans, leaving Roderick and Scott outside the Wendorf home. After four days of driving through four states, the group was found in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It is believed that Farrell liked a video arcade in New Orleans and they were headed there. One of the girls, Charity Kesey, placed a call to her mother in South Dakota. The group needed money, and Charity thought her mother could help them. However, Kesey's mother informed the police about her whereabouts and police, uh, and helped police trick Farrell, Wendorf, and the rest of the teens into going to a local Howard Johnson's hotel where they were arrested by waiting law enforcement. The four were held at a Baton Rouge jail for a week before being extradited back to Florida where they were initially booked at the Lake County Jail. They were later moved to a juvenile facility in Ocala. Oh, Ocala is very close to where I live. That's great. Now, this guy, Farrell, he had this appearance of looking like, like a lot like Damian Eccles. The long hair, the kind of, he was wearing the black t-shirts and all this other sort of stuff and looked like a goth. But unlike Damian Eccles in the West Memphis Three, this guy really was the real deal. Like, he was a killer. Yeah. So on February 12, 1998, then 17-year-old Farrell pleaded guilty to the murders, claiming that the others traveling with him were innocent except Scott Anderson, who was simply an accessory. Farrell pleaded guilty on two counts of felony murder. Farrell's attorneys tried to argue that he was insane. Uh, he has been diagnosed with mental disorders, including uh, schizo schizotip... Oh, my God. Schizoaffective disorder is what I'm going to call it. Schizotypal. Personality disorder? Whatever. And Asperger yeah. syndrome. Asper okay, that pisses me off. I have Asperger syndrome, and that's not a mental disorder. So whoever wrote this is a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, really, that's not a mental disorder. It's that's the that's personality a really disorder, isn't it? Not, not really. It's, it's just kind of a... a your brain works differently. I, I wouldn't call it a disorder. Oh, it's, right. You know, the the, the just... disorder part is probably what you're taking umbrage with. Yes, okay. I, I am taking umbrage with that. Um, uh, but then there are some people with Asperger's who have it a lot worse than I do. But I so mean, like... That's those... But that's not a fucking yeah, excuse for the bullshit, ex the, the fucking killings that he's been doing and his vampire shit. Yeah, that's not... Asperger's the, syndrome is not to blame for that. I'm sorry. The schizotypal personality disorder, maybe, but not Asperger's. And then maybe Asperger might have had something, because a lot of people with Asperger's, including myself, were very socially awkward, but I don't know if that would really lead to murder. I, I, I think that's a stretch. I really do. That's like saying somebody who has severe, like, panic attacks, you know, oh, that's one of the reasons... No, no, that, that, that dog don't hunt as... Dr. Phil Michael. Yeah. That, that dog don't hunt. Judge, Ter <laughs> Judge Terry T. Lockett sentenced Farrell to death. Charity Kesey was convicted of two counts of third-degree murder, robbery with a gun or deadly weapon, and burglary armed with weapon or explosives. She was sentenced to 10.5 years in state prison. Dana Cooper was convicted of those charges as well, but was given a 17.5-year prison sentence. Anderson was convicted of the same charges as Farrell and was sentenced to life in prison. 
For two years, Farrell had held the record as the youngest inmate on death row until November 2000 when the Florida Supreme Court reduced his sentence to life in prison because Florida had long abolished parole. The sentence is without it. Kesey was released from prison in March 2006 and Cooper was released from prison in October 2011. In January 2013, an appellate court was tossed mm-hmm. out, uh, has tossed out the latest attempts by convicted uh, uh, Roderick Farrell and Howard Scott Anderson to get a new uh, sentencing hearing. Now, I, I heard that his um, sentence was commuted to life in prison because he was only 16 at the time of the murders. Yeah, yeah that's what I heard, too. So That's what they showed on the update that just scrolled randomly super fast at the end of the episode. That's one thing about the Amazon Prime episodes, especially in season nine. I'm not a big fan of the updates don't happen right after the segment ends. It's just at the end of the episode. It's just this short stream of, of really short updates. But this guy, Farrell and his clan reportedly like to play vampire in various places around town. One place was an abandoned building called the vampire hotel. They actually sounds like a terrible movie. They show sounds like an awful direct to video vampire film. Well, didn't they do the Hotel Transylvania, the Adams in when that <laughs> yeah. Adam Sandler movie yeah. or something? Animated yeah. Adam Sandler movie. I heard it's like not that bad though. Yeah. But uh they actually show this vampire hotel in the uh in, in the unsolved mysteries segment or whatever. And um yeah, it's it's like a it's a shithole. It's it's like an abandoned building and there's graffiti everywhere and uh you know, it says like kill vampires and all this other kind of stuff. It it just really um kind of cheesifies the whole vampire thing like i'm not really as into vampires now as i was after seeing this segment <laughs> um it was like vampires are so lame but this pharaoh guy he didn't see this as playing a game he saw this as a birthright uh, according to reporter jim mahanes he told the sheriff's department that he thought he was immortal he thought that whatever happened to him wouldn't hurt him in the long term he thought he was invincible uh he honestly did think he was a vampire um, and then Stat kind of closes the segment by going, is vampire make-believe inherently evil and dangerous? Probably not. Does it create an environment where aberrant behavior is promoted? There's no way to know. But for the family of Kiera O'Connell, the philosophical debate of vampire games is of no consequence. They just want her to come home. And she did. She was found living with Brooker Maltese in Marion, Illinois, posing as a father and daughter pair gross or sometimes brother and sister yet more gross well i don't know father and daughters they're both gross Uh, equally gross equally gross kiera returned to her family which is good that rarely happens Mm -hmm. on this show brooker was convicted and sentenced to four years in military prison um now i wonder if military prison is like as bad as regular prison worse better i don't know um, and then Heather Wendorf was actually, uh, whose parents were murdered. She was cleared of all involvement in the deaths of her parents. And they never really explained like why that was. They just kind of said that's, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this article that I was reading previously, they don't really state that either. They talk about Dana Cooper and, um, the other girl, but they don't yeah. charity Kesey. They don't mention uh, Heather. So that's ironic. Her name is Charity, and she's nothing like that name at all. There was nothing charitable in those murders. Nothing at all. So this case was the subject of a song called Blood on the Bluegrass by the 
or the legendary Shack Shakers because there's no the e at the end. That's their band, like T H apostrophe legendary Shack Shakers, on their album Cockadoodle Don't. I I'd probably say Cockadoodle Don't listen to that yeah. album. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a that, very nice, Mike. That that's a good. The 2002 Vampire Clan was based on this case as well, and crimes against nature. Crime against nature is an old-fashioned term for sodomy, anal sexual intercourse, which has been a crime in most states. So you were on the right track there earlier. Ah, I figured with the butt stuff. That's crazy. But anyway, crazy that, of butts, uh, Rod is a total butthead and an asshole, and he's, he's lucky that he. Well, really, honestly, I don't. How do you feel about that? Like he was 16, so he can't be, be sentenced to life in prison type deal. No, he can't be sentenced to death because he's 16. He was sentenced. Oh, he can't be sentenced to death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fitting, you know? Yeah, that's, that's He's okay. a young, stupid kid. I think that he should, you know, he did horrible shit. At 16, you definitely have developed a conscience at that point. Uh, you know, I just think there's something really, I don't know, mentally, I just can't wrap my head around putting a 16-year-old on, like, a gurney and injecting him with, yeah. you know, lethal I, injections. I, I think... I yeah, I, I, life in prison is the right thing for him because he seems like a guy who should not be in society. However, one thing that's always kind of irked me about uh, life in prison is like these guys. A lot of times they they like get into the swing of it, and they there's things they enjoy about jail, and there's yeah, there's things they don't yeah, like. But, but for me, for me, it's like as long as he's not in society, that's fine. Yeah. If he enjoys it, whatever. As long as he's not a member of society, because he's the type of person who's who's dangerous and should not be in society. Yeah, I hope some uh, unlawful, unlawful carnal knowledge happens to him uh, in jail or a crime against nature. Yeah, crime against nature. I ho yeah, I hope some uh, some of his nature is uh, violated. Now, you know, this, if this if this girl, uh, Heather Wendorf, was really, like, living with my parents as hell and all that, I'm thinking, like, yeah, they could have been shitty parents and they could have been abusive. And mm -hmm. when, I guess because I had, like, really good parents growing up, it, instantly when I hear somebody killed their parents or their parents were killed, I feel really horrible for them because I put myself in that situation. I'm like, oh, my parents were great, so, like, that would suck for me. But not everybody has that experience growing up. So I think some people would like welcome that, you know, a very few people, you know, but uh, so I don't know. She might have been um, happy about that. I don't know. Anyway, instead <laughs> yeah, of News of Bazaar, I and also I don't really have anything else to say about this case except a uh, fuck rod with a rod up his ass. Yeah, Mike, don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> the what we're gonna do instead of the news of news of the bazaar is talk about the son of sam case and actually do it justice this time unlike the last time where i feel like both of us failed miserably it was the first episode give me it a break it wasn't the first episode i think it was like the second episode no, or something that but was yeah. the first episode that, that we ever did one? yeah that was the first yeah. one we talked about son of sam and it doth sucked <laughs> so 
this son of a bitch named David Berkowitz is known as the son of Sam, but Unsolved Mysteries in a really nice two-parter was making made this argument that he was not alone, that the son of Sam might have been multiple different people who also might have been involved in a satanic cult. So it ties into the whole cult thing. So we're all talking about cults. It's an all-cult spectacular. You done good, Mikey. You done good picking the right themes and all. You're a pro. All right. <laughs> you sound like that uh, frog lady from uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Bev! <laughs> Why would she be saying her own name? I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, because she's lost her mind, apparently. Uh, but anyway, at 1.10 a.m. on July 29, 1976, two young women were shot in the area of the Bronx, known as the Pelham Bay, by an assailant using 44 caliber bullets. One of the women, Donna Loria, was killed instantly. A composite of the shooter was created based on eyewitness accounts. On October 23, 1976, another shooting occurred in Queens. Both victims survived and were shot by 44 caliber bullets. On November 27, 1976, two young women were also shot in Queens. Both survived, but one would become paralyzed for life. Eyewitnesses helped to create another composite of the gunman. On January 30, 1977, Christine Frond, Fruend and her fiancé were shot in their car. Christine was killed. On March 8, 1977, Columbia University student Virginia Vosker Chian was shot and killed while walking home from school around 7.30 p.m. Eyewitnesses created two more composites of the killer, and these sketches seem different from the earlier drawings. Now, the reenactment for this, this is within the first season, so the budget wasn't... Well, I heard like maybe the budget was higher in the first season, or maybe it was low. I don't know. It, it, it's, it definitely looks pretty low budget. Like, they have a guy in an, an absolutely awful-looking wig who's running up and, and doing the shootings. <laughs> I mean, this wig looks like something that you'd see in like a, a closet at your high school for like your high school play it's a pretty awful looking wig now was it supposed to be like awful or was that just the- uh, i don't know maybe I, it doesn't seem like it was supposed to be it's just it's just an awful wig oh and, and let me um let me be uh condescending here for a minute as i correct you it's pronounced christine freund and it's German okay. for friend. Sorry, I, I don't I don't know it's that. It's Freund, word, and, know how- and you really got to add okay. the <sighs> in the back of your throat when you do it. Freund, Freund, Freund. Freunde. Christine Freund. Ich habe keine Freunde. That means I have no <laughs> friends in German, which it's uh, it's just, it means the same in English for me as well. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I need to join a vampire club. On April 17, 1977, Alexander Esau and Valentina Siriani were shot and killed in their car in Pelham Bay. This time, a handwritten letter was left at the scene. The killer identified himself as Son of Sam. On Memorial Day 1977, the killer sent another letter to newspaper columnist Jimmy Breslin. The letter contained taunts and references to Satanism. It mentioned the 22 Disciples of Hell, Wicked King Wicker, and John Wheaties, the rapist and suffocator of young girls. Now, when they say Robert Stack says it, and he just says it really great, as always. And John, you know, he emphasizes the we, the W, like he always does. Yeah, yeah. The Robert Stack H uh, W, not W H. He's what? Yeah. Where Wheaties? Um, 
And then in, in, in another Robert Stackism, instead of him saying at all, he says at all. <laughs> at all. They couldn't find a body at all. Um, I just thought I'd point that out. Um, yeah. John Wheaties, yeah, when they say eat your Wheaties, they didn't mean rape and suffocate <laughs> young women, you stupid ass. That was not what was meant by that. Yeah. This, the son of Sam, it, the, these killings, if it is by a bunch of Satanists, makes it even more terrifying. But at the same time, it's still equally as ter- terrifying if it's just one guy doing all of this because he really did wreak havoc and justifiably made people terrified to go outside at night in in this vicinity, in this area when this, these shootings were happening. Yeah, it was a big deal back then. Uh, it was you know all over the news. Um, this letter was also signed the Son of Sam and had a satanic symbol at the bottom of it. I'm guessing a pentagram, maybe. Finally, on July 31st, 1977, the assailant struck for the last time, killing a young woman named Stacy Moskowitz. Her boyfriend, Robert Violante, wish he had been a little bit more Violante to this son of Sam guy. Maybe the girlfriend wouldn't have died. Uh, he was injured. 19-year-old mechanic Tommy Zino. God, all these Italians. All, hey, <laughs> hey, you killed Robert Violante. <laughs> yeah. Tommy Zino. <laughs> I know all these people. <laughs> Valentina Soriani. Her father, he owns a pizza place down the street. Ray's famous pizza. He'll give you a slice. Good deal. Um, sorry about all that, folks. Uh, 19-year-old mechanic Tommy Zion. And by the way, I'm allowed to say all this stuff because uh, like, I'm a quarter Italian, so that, that just gives me the right to uh, <laughs> make all the Italian jokes I want. No, it doesn't really, but I hate people who do that shit. They're like, oh, I'm 119th Polish, so I can make a bunch of Polak jokes. Although that seems to be acceptable, the Pollock jokes. Nobody seems to be outraged over those. Poor Polish people. Love you guys. Uh, anyway, Jesus Christ. <laughs> ADD. Um, 19-year-old mechanic Tommy Zeno has, uh, was a witness to the shooting that killed uh, Stacy Moskowitz. Tommy gave a description of the shooter, which was much different than the other composite drawings. Authorities learned that a parking ticket had been issued near the scene. It was issued to a Ford Galaxy belonging to postal employee David Berkowitz. When authorities went to his residence, they noticed his car was parked out front. Inside, they saw a duffel bag with a rifle in it. They searched the car and found another letter written by the son of Sam, which threatened more attacks. At 10 p.m., Berkowitz returned to his car carrying a 44 caliber revolver in, his paper, in a paper bag. He was arrested and confessed to all the shootings. He told police that he received his orders from a barking dog of a neighbor, Sam Carr. Berkowitz pleaded guilty to all of the murders and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Uh, your do- the dog told you to do it? Like, really? Seriously? I mean, uh, I can understand like wanting to kill the dog because it keeps barking incessantly, <laughs> but to instead take orders from the dog as if it's telling you to do something, yeah, that's that's not that's not normal. I'll say that much. Or maybe it was uh, perhaps Satan. <laughs> Satan, the devil. Yes, offer Maury Terry however, felt that there was more to the story. He believed that Berkowitz did not act alone. He believes that Berkowitz is part of a gang of killings. Maury first became, sus- became suspicious when he read support read reports, and I need some support, 
right now. Apparently. About the last shooting on July 31st, 1977. Maury talked to eyewitness Tommy Zeno. Tommy said that he had seen a slim man with medium-length hair shoot Stacy and Robert. When Tommy saw Berkowitz a few days later, he was certain that he had seen a different man at the scene. Tommy believed this because Berkowitz... Uh, believed this... Tommy believed this because Berkowitz was much stockier than the shooter that he had seen. Maury had also learned about a yellow Volkswagen, which was parked in front of a park next to where Stacy and Robert was shot. The vehicle was left there at around 1 a.m. on the night of the shooting. Three men emerged from the vehicle. 30 minutes later, Tommy noticed the vehicle pass by him twice. At 2.05 a.m., a policeman issued the parking ticket to Berkowitz's car. At the same time, a neighborhood resident named Cecilia Davis was dropped off by a friend next to Berkowitz's car. Cecilia and her friend were blocking the street, so Berkowitz began honking at them as he tried to drive down the street. Cecilia got out of her friend's car and got a good look at Berkowitz. She saw Berkowitz driving away from the area following the police car. Fifteen minutes later, Stacy and Robert went on a walk around the park. They noticed a man standing next to the park restroom, which was two blocks from Cecilia's apartment. At 2.33 a.m., Cecilia returned to her apartment after walking her dog. She once again saw Berkowitz as he walked right past her on the sidewalk. Just one minute later, Cecilia entered her apartment and heard the shooting. It seems unlikely that Berkowitz would, would be able to walk two blocks to the scene of the shooting in less than a minute. It would normally take someone two minutes to briskly walk that distance. Just 15 seconds after the shooting, witnesses saw a man wearing a cheap wig run away from the scene of the shooting. Okay, maybe that's the, maybe it is supposed to look cheap. If that's the fact, nice job. That's what I was thinking. It definitely did look cheap. Get into a yellow Volkswagen and drive away. That gives a whole new meaning to the term slug bug. Because he goes, it pumps people full of slugs and then drives away in a Volkswagen. I don't know what the hell. I've never heard slug bug. I've heard punch buggy. They drove away, and Maury Terry believes that there were at least three people involved in the shooting, including Berkowitz. He believes that they are part of an organized conspiracy that is responsible for all of the Son of Sam shootings. Maury also believes that, although Berkowitz was involved in several shootings, he also became the fall guy in this case. I love the map that they have in this segment to show all of this, like to show that there's no way he could have done this in a minute. And this is where the car was. And it's like this extremely old computer created map. Looks a, and it's just extremely dated. Looks like a scene from the game Dick Tracy on the NES. <laughs> oh, yes. That, fuck that game. Yeah. yeah, it does. It reminds me of that piece of shit where you drive around the fucking car. Oh, dude, I liked that game, man. That. Like when, when Angry Video Game Nerd like just like rained down on it, like with how shitty it was. I'm like, I, I liked it as a kid. I, I was I mean, I couldn't beat it. Try playing that game now. Oh, I know I, it's unbeatable, but I thought I still thought that it game was sucks. visually. I, I thought it was interesting. It sucks. Dick. Yeah. Nobody know, knows what we're talking about right now, except for like two people. Um, Dick Tracy on the the Nintendo. Yeah. Even yeah. if they do know what a Nintendo is, they're not gonna they guarantee they haven't played that game. Um. Okay. So where are we at? Now? It's alleged. Okay. I'll, I can just take they, it. It's alleged that the cult was active in recruiting new members as late as ten years after his arrest. Maury believes that this cult sent the letter to Jimmy Breslin, and the letter, a King Wicker, is mentioned. Interestingly, Berkowitz lived in an apartment next to Wicker Street. A man named John Carr lived close to Berkowitz. Maury learned that his nickname was John Wheaties, 
which was also mentioned in the Breslin letter. John Carr happened to be the son of Sam Carr. Sam's dog is the one that Berkowitz claimed had told him to commit the killings. Maury believes that John resembles two of the composites of the killer. Maury tracked John Carr to Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Maury learned that while John worked in North Dakota, he frequently traveled to New York around the time of the murders. Authorities confirmed that John was a close friend and confidant of Berkowitz. Like, when I first saw this, it really does seem like it's it's pretty open and shut to me. I mean, the, the composites, I mean, it does look like Carr. It doesn't One of them definitely does look like John Carr more than it looks like David Berkowitz. And it makes more sense that it was more than one person, too, doing it. Yeah. Uh, on February 17th, 1978, six months after Berkowitz's arrest, John Carr was found dead in his girlfriend's apartment in Minot, North Dakota. It was believed at first that John had sat at the edge of his bed and shot himself with a gun that was found next to him. His girlfriend believed this. The next day, however, she changed her story and said that she believed that he had been murdered. She said that he was wanted for the Son of Sam murders in New York and that he was uh, afraid for his life. One of the North Dakota investigators is convinced that John Carr was murdered. However, the death remains a mystery. What do you think about that? I, I, I think it's more li- more likely that he was killed. To me, anyway. It seems like maybe there he knew something. Maybe he could have spilled the beans. Maybe he could have revealed that there was more than one killer. Stuff like that. Well, if it's this, or like, maybe um, he did kill himself because he knew he was involved with this and he couldn't deal with it and then took his own life. Well, I mean, I'd have to I'd have to dig more into that that crime scene and like, you know, is there was there evidence that, you know, it wasn't a suicide? Was there evidence that yeah. there was other people there besides just, you know, Carr himself, you know, uh yeah. all, all that would need to be taken into consideration, but I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, certainly some mm-hmm. kind of like collective of 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 these people who uh, made it a, seem like a big conspiracy uh, against David Berkowitz could have gotten together and silenced this uh, car guy before he spilled the beans. Sure, I mean, yeah. but, you know, we'll never know. So Maury believes that John Carr had satanic cult ties to both New York and North Dakota. The cult allegedly practiced in blood drinking, urine drinking, and even animal sacrifices. What the fuck does urine drinking have to do with Satanism? <laughs> like, what kind of power are you going to get from that? The only kind of body fluid they weren't drinking was like the more normal ones that you see in the pornos. Oh, I got dirty. Oh, this is the <laughs> dirty. I you people knew what you signed up for. This isn't this isn't a PG thirteen podcast. This isn't Sesame Street. It's not, and it's and it's not even like that good either. Which you've less known the reviews. Not. I'm just kidding. Okay, so a lot of you actually <laughs> like this. I just, you know, I focus on the negative sometimes. It's character. So they also sacrificed animals, and their choice of animal was allegedly the German Shepherd. Ah, I hate that. God, I hate that. Maury discovered that the satanic symbol at the end of the Breslin letter was also found in John Carr's phone book. What is this symbol that they keep alluding to? Just just say pentagram if it's a pentagram. What is a satanic? It's not a pentagram. It's a a different-looking symbol. It's... It's kind of like it has like an X in the middle and there's like these the, uh, there's a cross and there's an upside down cross and it, it, it's it's really weird looking. Oh, and and it's a, they also have uh, SOS in there. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not your typical satanic symbol. When you think you think a satanic symbol, you're just thinking a pentagram, but it's not a pentagram. But there is a pentagram in the next part here where where <laughs> Phil Valken 
was an acquaintance of John's and Minot. He told Maury that he accidentally walked in on John and another man during a satanic ritual. They were apparently sacrificing a chicken in the middle of Phil's own house. And the reenactment of this is hilarious. This this uh, Native American man walks into this house and he sees these, like, what looks like a bunch of uh, potheads or something, hippies, who are just sitting there, and there's a dead chicken, and there's, like, a pentagram on the ground, and Valken's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just like, can you imagine if you that you you uh blah, 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 you had a roommate? And no, I can't imagine having a roommate. That would suck. God, I hate roommates. I love living by myself. That was a cra- no. I'm like, thank you for taking me down that road, Mike. That was crazy. <laughs> no, I can't imagine having a roommate. Wow. No, I was like, all right. Can you imagine if? If you had a roommate and the, you walked into your apartment and they were doing this satanic ritual with a chicken, well, and they were all like, "Chicken, arise!" My roommate chicken, uh, that I used to arise. live with, he he was kind of a bro and he did P ninety X and shit. So I would honestly think that he was like killing the chicken, bro. The protein from a freshly killed chicken is so much more rich than the the protein you can buy at a store from the chicken there. I would just think that he was doing that for his workouts. And the and you would not really question the uh, pentagram on the ground. You'd just be like, yeah, some more P ninety X. That would stuff. be hilarious. That's like a kind of a funny premise. If like a college frat boy uh, was like this Satanist too. Oh yeah, bro, that's like a <laughs> pentagram to Satan. Yeah, like totally. Like praise be to him. You know what I mean? Like, hey, could you give me a hand with this? Like the legs on this like chicken. Kind of like going ape shit right now. <laughs> hey, bro, toss so, me a natty a natty ice, man. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> So they were apparently sacrificing this chicken in the middle of his own house. Uh, and that would be really fucked up because it's your house. You'd be like, what the fuck? Get out of here. Yeah, clean this blood up and these guts and entrails and shit. I, I wouldn't just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the? What the fuck? <laughs> I'd be like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> So Phil told Mari that John belonged to a violent satanic cult. Prison sources who knew Berkowitz claimed that he had been introduced to this cult by John's brother Michael in 1975. They allegedly attended a floating covenant party, which I find hilarious. A floating cov- covenant party. Down here we all float, <laughs> Georgie! <laughs> party wherein he became involved in the cult. At 4 a.m. on October 4th, 1979, Michael Carr was killed after he crashed into a light post on New York's West Side Highway. He died just 18 months after his brother. Can both Carr brothers are dead? Hmm. Sounds pretty suspicious. Um, conclusive proof that Berkowitz knew both of the Carr brothers came during one of his depositions. On October 25th, 1978, he said that he did know John Carr. In 1983, during another deposition, Berkowitz confirmed that the brothers were involved in a satanic cult and that they were uh, murdered to ensure their silence, which is, you know, what I would believe, you know, why that would happen. Uh, Maury believes that the brothers' deaths were engineered by the, quote, 22 disciples of hell, end quote. He also believes that the group held their rituals in Uttermeyer Park, located just one mile from Berkowitz's apartment. On August 11, 1977, the day after Berkowitz's arrest, two young boys led police to a shallow grave where the bodies of three German shepherds... Yeah, see, fucking, I hate hearing about that. The three German yeah. shepherds were... Fa- yeah, you know, people, you can kill them all you want, but leave the fucking animals alone, man. 
Uh, two of them had been strangled with chains. Ugh. And one of them was shot in the head. At least 10 other dogs were later found dead in the park. That's just fucked Dude, up. Dude, what really the... Is. Fucking losers. You fucking loser pieces of shit. Choking a fucking innocent dog. Authorities also received information that uh, groups of people in black robes with hoods were chanting and carrying on uh, rituals in the rear of Undermeyer Park. Carrying on? <laughs> they were just chanting and yeah, carrying they're on. <laughs> <laughs> they are just, you know, carrying on. They were, you know, bird watching and hailing <laughs> Satan and all that. More remains of dogs were found in that area. Okay. When Bob Barker said, please have your pet spayed or neutered, this was not what he had in mind. Okay, he, did, he didn't mean destroy the animals. He meant just, you know. He didn't say have your pet spayed and murdered. Yeah, it's a good reminder, everyone. Make sure you have your pets strangled to death by chain. <laughs> what if Bob... God. Hail Satan. <laughs> ba 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 da yeah, Bob Barker was a host of Price is Right for anyone who didn't know. And at the end of every show, he'd say, and, uh, you know, make sure you have your pet spayed and neutered. Like, that was his line. That will be on his fucking tombstone when Bob Barker finally dies. Has he died? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Oh, rest. I'm not sure, though. Rest in peace, Bob. Um, I want to spin that. But it- <laughs> I want to spin that wheel so fucking bad. Um, that would be fun. But this definitely is not fun. It was not fun for those dogs and, you know, the people who were killed by the, the son of Sam or the sons of Sam wasn't cool either. That wasn't funny. No. Either. It um, was believed that... The- but what is kind of funny, though, is the reenactment of, of the cult. It's it's your stereotypical satanic cult with the black robes and the hoods and and, and, and doing the chanting and I was just, I expected one of them to go, Satan is good. Satan is our pal. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. <laughs> Satan's our pal. I want to kill everyone. The night time is the right time. The night time <laughs> is the right time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was believed that the dogs were killed in a sacrificial way. Of course they were. Um, you know, because a German shepherd. I mean, that was the most... Although that would be pretty fucking weird and creepy if you were just randomly going around at night walking around in a park and then you see that shit oh yeah no absolutely i mean mean, when i was filming uh the music video for one of my songs i i i I did myself up to look like kind of like a witch doctor i had this white face paint with the black eye socket like like, you looked like one of the singers from ghost yeah yeah yeah, I've, i've heard that comparison before um since people have seen the video but yeah i'm wearing like this like over exaggerated almost like tom petty like alice in wonderland top hat and this mm-hmm. uh you know all black and when i was doing the video there's a scene where i had to film something and the camera was outside my house looking into the window and it was a night of all times and i'm like done up like this like witch doctor looking thing and this like these two people were just walking down my sidewalk and dude they like stood there and just stared like what the fuck <laughs> is going on over there like, I looked like uh, yeah. one of the bullies in Karate Kid during the dance scene, <laughs> the skeleton people. <laughs> I, like, I looked crazy to them, probably. Um, but it was totally not a crazy thing I was doing. You should check out that video, by the way. But It is. It's a really good music video. But Thanks, they, man. They did a good job with the reenactment of the cult, but it, it was still over the top. 
Um, with, the, with the chanting and stuff, and oh, Koyani oh, Scotsy. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Maury received a call from a teenager in Yonkers uh, who claimed that he had seen a satanic cult meeting. Um, satanic uh, graffiti was found. He also showed Maury the remains of several dogs. Finally, he took Maury along the aqueduct where a, sat- a satanic altar was set up. And uh, Maury uh, linked this to the, it was like the catacombs of hell or the sewers of hell or something like that. Because it was this kind of, something was in uh, the writings uh, from like some of the people who were involved with these murders. Like one of the cars. And he was saying like, this is literally the uh, the the tunnel to hell that they were talking about. And it could very well be. I mean, the fact that there were these satanic cults doing fucked up shit long after the Son of Sam killings does lead some credence to this. To this theory that it was a bunch of Satanists who just decided to start a reign of terror in New York. Could be. So cold activity has continued around Untermeyer Park since the Son of Sam killings. While Unsolved Mysteries was filming the story, two residents came forward to say that they had witnessed a satanic cult meeting in the park in 1987. Two witnesses stated they had gone outside after seeing car headlights, went to an area near the aqueduct in the park, and they saw at least 15 people standing in the area, chanting and holding candles. And that's another, you know, kind of silly reenactment they have there, the chanting and holding candles. Out of fear, the two witnesses fled the area. Like, this is this is the epitome of satanic panic. <laughs> this this whole segment, this this two-part segment, is, is the, just the height of satanic panic with Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, so authorities continue to investigate the Son of Sam case and do not consider it closed. <laughs> uh, they okay. like to question any, any individuals that match the composite sketches in the case. What is this accent? They would also like to locate the yellow 1971 Volkswagen seen near the last scene shooting. This is German? The last, the <laughs> license plate ends with the letters G-U-R. I don't know, Mike. <laughs> the accent came to me. I just went with it. It's like- So the case appeared on the November, tw- November 2nd, 1988 episode, with part two aired a week later on November 9th, 1988. It also mentioned in connecting to the research of Carolyn Reynolds, uh, this case is also mentioned. Uh, Berkowitz was also briefly mentioned in the Stockton arsonist segment. So that stupid, dumb kid who burned, who not uh, the, burned down uh, the house. Not the look at it, Omar. Not is that what? Oh, is that what? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Look at it, Omar. Oh, kid. That kid. Oh my God. <laughs> look at the flames. Look at the flames. <laughs> Yes, son of Sam. This is hell. Son of Sam. <laughs> God, that kid was such a, a bunch of virgins. That's what this episode is going to be titled: not vampires, not Satanism, a a gaggle of virgins and the crazy zany things they do. Episode sixty nine. Uh, but anyway, one last thing I want to talk about about the son of Sam before we uh, end this episode. This is a quote from Daughter of Nick, uh, a comment from the Unsolved Mysteries website talking about the Son of Sam case. I know for a fact that Berkowitz knew the Carr brothers. My father was stationed at Minot AFB, Air Force Base. 
he and his buddies went out for a went out to a local dealer's house to pick up some marijuana. My father and his friends entered the house to get the dope. This was John Carr's house. He stated that the entire encounter was so bizarre. As they were getting as they were getting what they came for, he couldn't help but wonder who the weird guy in the rocking chair was. The man sat silently, just rocking back and forth. The room was so quiet at one point, all that could be heard was the rocking of the chair. The man never said a word, just stared at them while rocking back and forth, back and forth. When they left the house, my father asked one of his buddies about the guy in the chair. He was told that this was his friend, his, this was uh, John's friend, Berkey. <laughs> Berkey. Not much was thought of that night until the son of Sam Killer was arrested in New York. As soon as my father saw him on the news, his mouth dropped. That was the weird guy in the rocking chair at John's house in Minot, North Dakota. My father had stared David Berkowitz in the eyes and was one the wiser. Not too long after Berkowitz was arrested, John was found dead. While suspicious, they were told it was a suicide. A year or so later, Michael Carr was killed in an automobile accident, also suspicious. I don't know if John and Michael were involved in the killings, but I do know that they were acquainted with Berkowitz during the time of the murders. So they're trying to basically say that uh, Berkowitz, uh, what, he got away to North Dakota or something? Yeah. Well, I gotta say, I mean, that's a pretty creepy story. Like, that gave me some uh, shivers for sure with the whole, just imagining that, just the whole creepy guy just rocking in a chair silently with this dead inside look on his face. Oh, and that's just uh, my friend Berkey. Oh, that's old Berkey. Don't mind him. He just, uh, you know, he's done. He's not all there. Shit, half these places I have to do karaoke gigs at uh, that are over on the west side of town, like, I think I think most of those people in those bars have done shit. They're hiding from stuff. <laughs> like, most of them probably have some kind of rap sheet of some kind. Dude, can I say some kind one more time? I think I can, some kind. Okay, there we go. Now it's like five <laughs> times in one sentence. Good job, me. So, uh, yeah. That's all I have to say about the Son of Sam. I think we did a better job this time around than the first time, because we were both involved. Yeah, I think uh, the last the last time, uh, episode one uh, of of our podcast back when it was called Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries, which has such a better fucking ring to it, but it does. Whatever. Fucking lawyers, what are you gonna do? Uh, I I feel like that was a long episode. Like we hadn't really found like like the pacing or something and yeah. i think by the time you got to son of sam the first time i think i was just kind of burnt burning out like mentally like yeah. i was just getting kind of tired and it was hard for me to kind of pay attention so uh-huh. i was just kind of letting you just kind of go off and i was just like eh, well yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> maybe could be i don't know what are we talking about who, who am i where what uh the moment I ch- yeah. I uploaded that shit to SoundCloud and I checked the SoundCloud and it had like a hundred plays, I was like amazed. I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> really? Like people are listening to this? It's crazy." And here we are. That is crazy when you look back. Like, I mean, considering how bad that yeah, episode was. Yeah, and here we are a year later and we have two hundred plays. That's just amazing, <laughs> you know. But anyway, uh, I think that's it for this uh, week's podcast. A little bit longer because we had a third case we decided to talk about. Um, 
you can shill some things some more. Yes, if you'd like to see more of me and Mike separately but equally, you can find us on YouTube. Mike's page is youtube.com slash O as in orange, C as in cat, and P as in penis, communications. So it's OCP communications, and he does movie reviews. That's the main thing he does. And, uh, he, you know, they're very informative. You'll find out a lot about the movie, the director, all the people involved. He also um, goes on rants. He gets very angry about things. Um, and then he also has a, a knitting um, series that he does where he knits Afghans. No, no, I don't. I'm not Betsy fucking Ross. Well, geez, testy, testy testicles over here. And then me, I have my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Ghosts are plural. Not one ghost, but many ghosts. Dancing with ghosts. Um, I Like I said, I just completed a, a music video for my band, Dancing with Ghosts. Um, and yeah, that took a long time, and it came out really good. So you should check that out. I also, I, and it was awkward for people who saw you filming the music video. Oh, absolutely. Um, and as you probably heard me playing guitar in the background here, I am a musician. I do make my own music. But uh, yeah, I actually, I actually just reformatted my YouTube channel, Mike, and it took me like so long because I I don't know if you've seen it recently but I like broke things down into categories now so now I have like my TV and movie category my video mm-hmm. my video game videos my taste testing videos it's all broken down so you put that in playlists yeah in playlists they all have mm-hmm. the, it's not like the overstimulation station and it's just a bunch of random you know topics like I break I break yeah. it down now and then I added like a watermark on all my thumbnails of my logo and I had to go in every single... T- think about how long that would take you. Why did you have to go into every single video to do that? Because what I did is I just posted a watermark on my channel and it automatically did that. So. Well, when I say watermark, I mean like on the thumbnail itself, it, it's got, it says the overstimulation station in big uh, like words on the bottom of the picture. Oh, okay. So you changed the, the, the thumbnail you itself. You changed the thumbnail. Okay. No wonder that took a long time. Yeah. Think about if you had to do that with all your videos. Like, Oh, God. No. <laughs> So anyway, um, I'm getting distracted. I'm hungry. I gotta go to my fucking. I gotta go to my my gig and Applebee's. Get me some. Get my free meal. Get my cheeseburger sliders. Hope everybody has a good rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys next week and goodbye. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, Or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. uh, Music is sold online or go to Bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. I hate ants. All right, ants that, suck. That worked. Fuck you, ants. <laughs>
Ants like the insects. Yes. All right. Well, I hate ants. There are so many worse insects out there, though. Yeah, I know, but they're just extremely annoying. And if you leave anything out over where I'm at, these ants will just be everywhere. And you can get rid of it, but then they're still around the vicinity, and they're in, like, corners somewhere, and it's just, just a pain in the ass. Are they the red ants or the black ants? Black ants. Oh, ants. black ants. I used to eat black ants. Those aren't bad. You see sugar ants? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it was the best thing to do, or smart, or could have been, like, some kind of a foreshadowing of my intelligence, but it was still something that I did. They're super tiny. Like, how can you eat those? I don't know. I would just take them and, and I'd eat them. I was just, I was told that they weren't bad to eat. So I ate them and, and they, they didn't really have much of a flavor. Come to think of okay. it, that's really fucking bizarre that I used to do that. That is bizarre. You're like bringing up childhood shit I haven't thought about for a while. Dude, that's, that's extremely bizarre. <laughs> I think my brother did it and I was just falling in line. I was such a follower as a kid. Yeah. Bizarre news over here. Yeah, we ain't, we ain't gonna have any time for bizarre news on this one. I no, no, no. I don't nope, believe. Nope. We're just gonna do Son of Sam instead, which I think is better. Anyway. You you use a desktop PC, right? Yeah. That's cool. You're like one of the only people I know who uses a desktop. Everyone uses their fucking cell phone. So much, it's so much better. Oh, I know. I know. I fucking love computing on a desktop, over even over a laptop. Like... You know, I don't mind my phone. Like if I'm waiting on the bus, it's a nice thing to use to look through stuff and you know kill time playing mini golf. It's, but it's yeah, a, it's a last right. fucking resort for me. Like if I'm if if the power's out and I have no traditional internet, well, I'll, I'll watch a movie no matter how crappy it might be over dicking around on my phone. That's not. I yeah. don't get the people who watch movies and TV shows on their phone. Yeah, like, like, dude, dude, there a lot of people. Most people do everything on their. I've cell ever phone. just watch it on my laptop if I'm at school and I got time to kill. I bring, I have my laptop and I'll hook up my flash drive, portable, you know, little mini flash drive, USB flash drive with stuff on it, and watch stuff on my laptop. The screen's bigger, and I don't understand how anybody can watch anything on their phone unless it's a last resort. Yeah, I feel you. I, I, yeah, I, I love my desktop. I mean, I, I it's, it, <laughs> I love my custom built computer. It's yeah. Last, it's lasted for a few years and it's not slowing down. It has no signs of slowing down. Yeah. Same, same with mine. I, cause I finally wised up and stopped putting fucking like bloatware on there and stopped downloading like LimeWire and shit. LimeWire? Yeah. You should, you should have stopped doing that a long time ago. Well, that, well that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, this computer's at least like, LimeWire is is virus wire now. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and all those wires, FrostWire, and all the other ones. Are I do all... some torrents every now and then, but I use a website that yeah, it is kind of dangerous. But if you have a ad blocker and you have uh, even if you mainly it's if you have uh, uh, some kind of virus software, you're cool because automatically it'll block whatever they're trying to do. I gotta so. I gotta get fucking ad blocker. Like I've been meaning to do that. I gotta do that. It's free. I know. Are you using Firefox? Yeah. Just add it as an add-on. I'm gonna make Ad a note of it right plus. now. Get ad blocker. <laughs> um, Thirty minutes later, Tommy noticed the vehicle pass him by twice. At two o five a.m., a policeman issued the parking ticket to Berkowitz's car. 
At the same time, a neighborhood resident named Cecilia Davis was dropped <laughs> off by a friend. Sounds like a text-to-speech program. <laughs> Speak and spell. Um, Josh isn't really doing this interview right now. This is all synthesized text that is being read off by a robot. This is this is an app on, on Josh's phone that's hosting the podcast right now. No, that's not true because that would be much more accurate than I ever have been. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, Cecilia, David, okay. At the same time, a neighbor, you know what? One twenty fifty six. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> it's going to be one of those. It's going to be one of those. I messed up too, but I kind of just went with it. I didn't want to make your job harder. <sighs> Uh, neighborhood. 